0: Once again, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning, and uh, I want to take a few moments uh, before we uh, participate in communion uh, together. To share with you all uh, a little bit this morning, but before I do, uh, just a couple of uh, brief updates. We've had a busy week here in the life of St. John's, and so uh, pastoral care-wise, with um, you know those that continue to um, to mourn as well as those who recently have lost. Um, that's been Uh, an active thing inside of our congregation this week. In addition to that, we had church conference on uh, Tuesday night, and so out on the information desk, if you would love some riveting reading today on your bye week of Eagles football, uh, you want to take one of these home and read it. This is kind of just the the business uh, meeting in the life of the church once a year, and uh, so to let you know that. And then uh, yesterday was the yard sale, which uh, meant that really all week, but specifically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just a very busy week in the life of the church, and uh, thank you for all of you who have helped, if you donated, if you came by, purchased anything, worked yesterday, brought it in, took it out, uh, whatever the case might be, Uh, over I think $4,300 was raised for missions in yesterday's yard sale, and uh, in addition, another $530 to Haiti through the snack bar, so uh, give yourselves a round of applause uh, for that. One of the things that's uh, encouraging uh, as your pastor is to be part of a church that is always looking to reach out. And so uh, there are shoe boxes that are coming back. There are Thanksgiving boxes that are going out. There's a yard sale taking place yesterday. And in addition to that, I hear stories you continue to engage your neighbors and your workplace, um, continue to live out your faith at all levels. And that's what we want to talk about really over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to do a similar thing that we did last year, which is return to. Uh, the vision messages from mid-September and pick them up again in November. If you have been uh, coming to church for some time you'll know that November is the time when uh, the church calls it stewardship but you know it as this is the time when we want your money and uh, that sometimes comes across as the case. That is not really the case Uh, when we talk stewardship and uh, really November becomes a focal point of that because it is the month of Thanksgiving, it is the month when we, we begin to look ahead towards a new year of ministry. What stewardship really means is all that God has entrusted to me, how can I use that? So, my relationships, my gifts, my abilities, my, um, you know, just season of life that I'm currently walking through, uh, my, my time, my talents, my treasures, all those things, how can all of me be used for all of what God wants to do in me, with me, and through me? Uh, to be a blessing to the people around me. And so when we talk stewardship, that's what we mean. It's not primarily a financial thing, although that's a part of it. It's not primarily a we-need-you-to-do-things thing, but that's a part of it. Uh, The reality is, what's it mean to live out the gospel inside of daily life? And so the phrase I want us to think about today is all in, and to think about what it means to be all in. Now, a couple of months ago, we used kind of as our our statement for this year the, the words engage and invite that as we live inside of a culture that is growing increasingly more de-churched, interesting a study that I looked at this week said uh, the number of people in church regularly is dropping across our country, but the number of atheists in our country is not necessarily rising that quickly. The number of people of other faiths is not necessarily rising that quickly. The number that is really rising quickly are the box of people who would check none on the box that says religious preference. It's not that they don't believe in God any longer or have converted to a new religion. It's just it's no longer relevant. And so rather than having a problem with the church or an issue with the church or uh, antagonistic towards things of faith, it just blends into the background almost as if it doesn't matter anymore sometimes inside of our culture. Now, we know the gospel hasn't changed. We know that people haven't changed. But what is required, I think, for us inside of this culture in which we live is much more one-on-one, interpersonal, one person to one person, uh, bringing, inviting, coming alongside, entering into the mess, all those things that we talked about in September, that's what we want to be about. So it's been a couple of months. Uh, the challenge that we laid out, and we, remember we said 6,000 invitations and tried, trying to engage 600 people uh, in faith conversations and moving towards uh, Jesus inside of their lives, that that would look Uh, one invitation every 2.6 weeks. So it's been a little less than eight weeks, but you all are overachievers. Uh, How many of you, you don't have to show your hands, uh, but you have engaged and invited three people over the course of the past two months? Not just a, hey, yo, this group of people over here come to my church. All right, that takes off 10 right there. Check it off, put it in the offering plate, you know, my little card. But when you, like, specifically engage in And a personal invitation to someone. Maybe it's an invitation to bring their kids to Wednesday night. Maybe it's an invitation for them to attend an event or to be part of a conversation or to go and check out the church in their own community that they used to go to. It's not just about us, but it's about God using us to engage and to invite. That's what we're going to come back to and pick up over the next uh, couple of weeks. It's not a new concept. I actually think from the beginning of the church, it has always been one-to-one. And that's not to say that God hasn't used, you know, Billy Graham crusades or large preaching events or mass marketing campaigns. But when you think about it, I think for all of us, we would say that faith, even though maybe it involved an event or something we were a part of, most of the key faith moments inside of our lives, the transforming moments, there's been a person attached to. There was somebody who showed up for you. There was somebody who drug you by your ear to church when you were little and you didn't want to go, but they made you go anyway, and now you're grateful for it. There was someone who came alongside of your life. There was somebody who was there who was consistent when you didn't see a whole lot of consistency in the church. And so I think the way it's always been, relational and personal and one-to-one, but even more so perhaps in the day and age that we live now. So when we think about it over these weeks, what it means... Uh, To engage and invite, again, what I want to invite us to think about today, just prior to communion, is the phrase all in. To be all in, just completely, uh, 100% given over, not holding anything back to what Jesus wants from our lives and with our lives, and to make a difference inside of others through us. That we give all we got, that we don't settle for mediocrity, that we don't hold a portion back, that we're not just in as a portion of who we are, but we are all in. Now, during this, this season, I think there's a few things that have kind of uh, painted this picture inside of my mind that I think about today without without even pausing to think. When I say all in, there are a few frames that come into my thinking. The first is I've been to uh, three high school playoff games in the past two weeks. One boys soccer, one girls soccer, one f- football game. In all cases, y- you begin to... To sense, you know, the, the, the intensity, the preparation, just the, the enormous amount of work that goes into it and, and the exhilaration of the team who jumps and cheers and hugs one another and the others that maybe lay on the field or they come across with a tear in their eyes because all the work has come to a point where there is no next game. That inside of those moments, you look at a group of people who said that they're all in. That for this period of time with this group of people, for this test that's in front of us, We're all in. Last weekend, uh, Rachel and I and a couple of friends went down to witness the wedding of one of my uh, Sharptown youth group kids in North Carolina. And we were up on a hillside and it was looking out over just miles and and miles of of the hill country there. And every wedding that I officiate or every wedding that I attend, I get a front row seat, it seems like, to an all-in moment where before all of her family and her dearest friends and all of his family and his dearest friends and before God, two people stare into the eyes of one another and they put a ring on the finger and they offer vows before God and before the other person to say, this is not just a for now type of thing. This is not just a conditional type of thing, but I am offering my life to you inside of this moment, all in till death do us part. And so there are these all-in moments that that pop up uh, that remind us of what life could be like. And we all want to live all-in lives in areas of our lives, inside of our parenting, inside of our marriages, inside of our workplaces. We want people around us to be all-in and not just conditional inside of their relationship with us. So what's that look like this morning as we prepare for communion, as we think about engaging and inviting Uh, To consider that phrase, I want to invite you to step into a passage of scripture inside of Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we get a community picture of this and then an individual picture of this inside of the verses we're going to read together. Beginning with verse number 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, there were those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so here, this is uh, the last verses of chapter 4. You know that when you begin to read through the book of Acts, that there is kind of this feverish pace that as the the local church is birthed and the kingdom of God seems to explode inside of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, you go from 120 people in the upper room to Peter preaching and 3,000 coming to faith, to then just a continued growth, that the Lord was adding to their number daily, but there seems also to be this growth in community as much as there was a growth in numbers. That the church wasn't just, you know, multitudes of people saying, yes, we believe in Jesus, but it was multitudes of people who were then intricately connected inside of one another's lives. A verse we considered last year, Acts 2.42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was an intentionality about their fellowship and here we begin to read first generally that there was this community that that really began to take root there inside of the early church that they began to share with one another and they began to almost redistribute wealth not in a top-down forced way but out of the abundance of what God was doing inside of their heart and they met needs amongst one another and the word of God grew inside the city because of the way this group of people treated one another and placed their faith in Jesus, they were all in. And then we're introduced to a specific. Luke reminds us that he sat down to put an orderly account together of the events that took place. And so he gives us the general, and then he gives us the specific. Because when you hear the general, it's like, yeah, they, they all held everything in common, and they all shared together, and everything was wonderful, and you get these all, every, always statements And it's kind of like the way we look back on something 20 years ago, and we said, that job was always wonderful, and it was always a pleasure to work for, and you forget some of the particulars. So Luke says, let me give you an example of this. It wasn't just rose-colored glasses as I'm remembering what took place, but there was this guy named Joseph. And he was from the island of Cyprus, and he was a Levite, which meant he grew up as a Jewish believer, part of the the 12th tribe, the the Levitical tribe was the the tribe that worked the temple, that worked the synagogue. Uh, He was from a ministry family, had a heart for the things of God, was a believer inside of the Old Testament and uh, the Jewish faith. He becomes a believer. Most likely, he was not there in the upper room in the first 120 who gathered. Maybe when Peter began to preach, he was part of that initial 3,000. Maybe he was there working inside of Jerusalem in the temple and overheard. Maybe someone told him, someone invited him. Maybe he was just happened to be in the area, but he responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from there it says, his name was not just Joseph, but they called him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. I think that he had the name son of encouragement before he ever sells the field. This is not something where one huge act of of courage and generosity sets this guy's legacy for life. I think there is something that began in small ways that then continued to germinate into bigger things inside of his life. And so the son of encouragement, who is already encouraging and bolstering people's faith, discovers he has a field, and so he sells the field, and he brings the money, and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas goes on to be the first person in Jerusalem that welcomes the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, the persecutor of the church. And when he comes to Jerusalem, it's Barnabas that first takes him in and begins to come alongside of him. It's the same Barnabas that goes out on missionary journeys with Paul, and eventually they split and and, and they go their separate ways, but the gospel is advanced through this man's life and ministry because he went all in. I don't think Barnabas' conversion was from godlessness to godliness because he was a God-fearer. I don't think it was from evil to goodness because he was probably a pretty good guy. I don't think it was from biblical illiteracy to all of a sudden becoming a massive student of the scriptures because he grew up in a Levitical household. And by the way, the New Testament isn't even written probably until his ministry is nearly done. But I believe that something happened inside of Barnabas's life that when he discovered that the one that I've been hearing about, that the Messiah would come, that that person is Jesus, and he placed his, his confidence and his hope and his faith in him, life began to look different. The Holy Spirit came in to enter his life, and he became part of the church, the gathering, the ecclesia, that was never about a building in the New Testament, but always about the people of God and the movement of God. And something began to, to grip Barnabas' life that he approached things differently from that point forward. Something clicked. And now life began to take a greater focus because he knew what was at the center. And he knew the one who had been lo- been looking for. And so he sells a piece of property. So right now I think we're just going to ask the ushers to come forward if you have any property, any other forms of real estate, mutual funds are okay, cash value life insurance policies, like we're just going to, you know it's not about the amount, right? And we're not even going to talk about money much after this just transitional statement, but when he brings the money and he places it at the disciples' feet, it's more indicative of what was happening inside of Barnabas more than it was what was going to take place through that finite amount of money. But I think Luke includes this here, not to say, look at the first building project that occurred inside of the Christian Church of Jerusalem. It was called Barnabas Hall because the guy sold his, I don't think it's about that. But we begin to read throughout the next six or eight chapters in the book of Acts about this individual, and it begins here with this moment of faith and this action that he takes inside of his life. We don't know much about the field. We don't know if it was an inheritance, we don't know if it was something that he purchased, if it was in mind for his, his family in the future, if it was, you know, for something. We don't know much about the field, much about the value, the size, anything like that. But I think there's a few things we can talk about and think about this morning. The first is that it pointed to his future. In some way, shape, or form, it pointed towards his future. Maybe it was a future goals for his family or service inside of the temple in Jerusalem, but there was something about uh, this piece of property, even if it was just going to be liquidated for what he needed, in some way it pointed towards his future. I wonder what happens when we give God our future. With all the unknowns, with all the fears, with all, all the uncertainty, with the plans, with the what-ifs or the if-onlys. And whether or not you think that future is 60 years in addition from now or 10 years in addition from now, the reality is none of us know exactly the number of days that we have. But I think there's a powerful thing inside of stewardship, inside of living out the Christian life in such a way that it's all in that begins with us saying, God, you can have my future. The future that I have, all these different goals and plans and hopes and dreams, You can have it. The future that has all these uncertainties, will this be enough? Will this be okay? Will I be good enough? Will I ever find what it is that I'm looking for or who it is that I'm looking for? To give God your future. Because you know that he's got a much better plan and design for it than you ever could possibly imagine. At Delanco Camp at the age of 17, when I felt like God was calling me to ministry, Inside of that moment, and I think in the enormity of it, I thought that I was laying down every hope of of having a happy, enjoyable, wonderful life in order just to do what God called me to do, and I'm going to do what God called me to do, even if I hate it for the rest of my life. And I look back from that moment of the friendships that I made at Asbury College, and the woman that I began to date and eventually marry at at Asbury College, and the friendships that we built in Sharptown, and the friendships that we built in, in Turnersville, and and what has taken place in and through Delanco Camp and through aspects of ministry. I would not go back and trade in any of that for what I thought I was giving up at the altar at Delanco Camp at 17. Because God's got a much better and bigger plan for your life even than you do. Now, that's one thing to think about when you're 16 or you're 30, 35, but what about when you're 60 or you're 70? Do you know that God still even holds your future? and he knows your days, and he's got a plan and a purpose. I wonder if some of the times it's just as difficult to give Jesus your last years as it was to give him your first years. But to recognize in that there is freedom when you give Jesus your future. So to be all in, here's an all in statement for you. means that we walk into our future open-handed, Open-handed means not that I'm clen- clenched fists around everything that I think I want to do, and Jesus, you can have everything, but this is what I want to do as a career. Jesus, you can have everything, but this is you know the kind of person I'm going to marry. When you walk into the future open-handed, you trust that his plan is better than yours. I wonder if Barnabas would have been asked, so how about the field? Do you regret giving the field 20 years later? Maybe it had some family significance, maybe it had a good view, maybe there's something that he remembered, but I would almost think that he would look back and say, oh, the field, I forgot about that, that was so long ago. There is no way in the world I would trade in what God has been able to do in me and through me with my life for the sake of a field. So he let go of it. This is not about liquidating what you have, but it's about saying, As I walk into the future, I walk open-handed knowing that God has a much better plan for it than I do. Second, we're gonna move quickly through these other two as we prepare for communion. I think there's an element of security and security and future kind of go together, but security is the the financial side of that, that specifically that there was a value to this land that now would no longer be in Barnabas's portfolio or in Barnabas's pocket, but now would be given to the church, given to ministry. He didn't have to sell it. In fact, the story that follows about Ananias and Sapphira, the, the sin was not that they kept money, but that they lied about keeping money. There's nothing that says, thou shalt sell you, your property and give it to the church. This was something that Barnabas, out of what God was doing in him, said, my security, my sufficiency, and my provision is found in God, and this belongs at the feet of the apostles for ministry. And again, it's not a financial statement, it's a statement about where we find our security and our provision and what it is that we need. Giving's never been about an amount, but it's been about the generosity that takes place when God does something in your heart. And here's the all-in statement, that to be all-in means that we live generously, recognizing that I, I wasn't meant to consume everything I have on me. Or maybe even just to preserve everything I have for me, but to be all in means that we op- walk open-handed into the future, but we also walk open-handed with what he's given us and it's about generosity and last year, when we talked about this, I put four symbols up on the board that were people who begin to give, and there was a dollar sign, or you know we begin, you know there was a number one that we give as first priority inside of our life, that we begin to build that muscle inside of. The fabric of our budgeting and who we are, and there was a percentage sign. We gave a percentage. It's not about the amount, but it's about that that sacrifice, that habit inside of our lives. And that there was a plus sign that we begin to increase our giving over time. That it's not just checking off a box, but it's relationship with our heavenly Father. And those four Im- images really fuel what it means for God to develop that generosity m- muscle in me. That what I have was not meant to be consumed on me, or simply just preserved. For me. And finally, I think for Barnabas, the sale of this land was about priorities. It was about what God was doing inside of his heart and then what the response of his life should be. The path of his life shifted. No longer was this, I'm going to live here for the rest of my life, but God, you can have my future, you're my security, but of the things I'm going to prioritize now, this piece of land is far in the rearview mirror of that. Do You know, sometimes I think we, when we're in church, or when we're with with our Christian friends, our priorities seem clear. We know what our priorities are. We know what we want to be first inside of life. But the problem is, then you move to the next thing and to the next thing, and you walk into the next situation you find yourselves in. And I wonder, and even as we think about communion, Communion is the idea of a God who went all in for us to say that I'm going to do everything I possibly can to reconcile you to me, even laying down my own life. That then becomes the pattern of how I want you to live. Not because I need something from you, but because that's what redemption looks like inside of our world. That when someone lays down their life for the sake of someone else, That's what it looks like to be all in. And God has the ability to reshape priorities to the point it's not just about, you know, whether you did your devotions in the morning or whether you showed up at church, but that collection of behaviors that there's something that begins to shift inside of how we live, that we live differently because of the one who lives in us. We live differently because being all in means life is not about just all these other things that threaten for my allegiance and for my participation from the inside out, I I can begin to build the priorities inside of my life that reflect what is the main thing inside of my life. And so I think worship's important. I think scripture reading's important. I think service is important. Christian's community is important. Not because we're checking off the boxes, but because inside there's a reprogramming of my priorities. And so here's the all-in statement, and it's a a play on words, but to be all-in means that we begin to live and to go all out for the sake of, of the one that Scripture calls the all-in-all. All. And so Jesus, who is all-in-all, all, being all-in all means that I go all-out for him. I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. All-in can be intimidating, again, because it seems to say, well, unless you're at church 100 hours of your 168 hours, you're not all-in. We'll give you 68 hours of sleep a week, but other than that, we need you here, like, Unless you're given 80%, you're not all in because after all, we'll give you enough money to buy ramen ramen noodles, but that's all that you need. Sometimes we can almost like take that to the nth degree and say, I'm not all in because there's somebody else who gave more. There's somebody else who did more. There's somebody else who sacrificed more. There's somebody else who knows more. But I think being all in today is to say that the one who laid down his life for you, Jesus, you can have all of me. The one who gave all for you, you say, Jesus, you can have all of me. And all of me right now looks like a mess. I want to begin to give, but I'm so far in debt, I can't even begin to give. Jesus, can we begin to tackle the debt? I want to be all in and be able to serve, but right now my calendar is so full. Jesus, will you help me to just create a little bit of time or a moment to be able to serve? I want to be all in, but Lord, you know that the only time I open my Bible is when I'm at a small group or church or church. Would you give me the grace to every morning open it up and to read a paragraph or two? Even if it's just a 10-minute to kickstart my day, I want to begin that pattern. All in isn't about perfection, but it's about setting the priorities in place to live differently because of the one who lives inside of you. If we're ever going to be people who engage and invite and make a difference inside of our community, it doesn't happen just going halfway. It doesn't happen just in the overflow of life, and when I get around to it, and if the opportunity presents it, it happens when we're all in. So I want to invite you this, this morning as you come to both receive something, but then to also offer something. To receive is to say, Jesus, you are the one who is the all in all, who gave everything for me. Lord, will you come into my life in a deeper way, And then the offering is to simply say, would you help me to live all in this week, whatever that next step looks like. And you can ask him, what is that next step? Is it something inside of how I approach my future? Is it something where where I draw my security? Is it something inside of my priorities? What's that one step? Again, all in is not about a perfection, or it's not about comparison, but it's about what is that next step that the one who gave everything for me I want to in turn offer him all of me. Will you join me for a word of prayer? At this time, if you are helping with communion, I also want to invite you to come forward as well. Let me just ask you as we close. What's the one step or the next step for you today? To live all in. And I think, again, as the challenge boils down, it's not probably 15 things or trying to change everything or comparing yourself to the person down the road that you deeply respect spiritually, but for you today, in terms of your security and your future and your priorities, what would it look like to live all in? This morning, as you come forward, you're going to take a piece of bread and be reminded of the broken body of Jesus that willingly he went to the cross for you, to take a cup that reminds us of his shed blood that was poured out freely for the forgiveness of your sin. We worship today a God who went all in for us. As we receive that, Lord, also might you speak to our hearts in such a way to remind us and to call us to that next one step, possibly, that we could take to be all in with you. Would you use this time, God, to transform, to shape, to mold us? Perhaps to provide a word of comfort or a challenge to our heart this morning. We ask inside of these moments that you would come that you would move, and that you would speak. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to release you this morning and invite you to come forward. You don't have to be a member of St. John's to receive communion, but the intent of your heart this morning is to respond to that invitation of Jesus. Will you be all in inside of your relationship with me?
1: As we make way for your love, let these hands be clean and this heart be pure. Blame the sad. fresh on oh. The fresh on